because our mission is to get historically underrepresented students into highly selective institutions. Welcome to Project Doing Good, the podcast, where we highlight people doing good in their communities and help connect their projects with resources and organizations. I'm Nathan. And I'm Cameron. Today, we got to speak with Nancy Lee Sanchez, who is the executive director for the Kaplan Educational Foundation, a 501c3 public charity that seeks to eliminate barriers to higher education for overlooked and underserved students, developing them into world leaders and advocates for their communities by providing a comprehensive array of financial and academic support, transfer admissions, advising, and leadership skills development. Nancy also created the Kaplan Leadership Program, a community college to four-year advisement model focusing on selective college admissions, developing the whole student while preparing them for a lifetime of socially conscious leadership. Nancy has over 18 years of expertise providing access, improving the college experience, and supporting leadership among low-income, underrepresented, and non-traditional students. As a 2014 National Hispanic Executive Leadership Fellow, Nancy completed an executive leadership program at Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government. She just released a new book entitled Your 2018 Guide to College Transfer, complete with 90 school profiles. So if you're a student looking to enter higher education, this will give you all the information you need. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Nancy, thank you for coming on the show with us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So to jump right in, Nancy, tell us a little bit about your personal story as it is related to education and just kind of what inspired you to get into the education space, but also your own personal story with education. So, um, you know, I always identify myself as Puerto Rican first. (laughs) And if you know, um, and what that means is that, um, you know, I was born in Puerto Rico and I came to the United States and I had um, access to the education that Puerto Rico um, offers to everyone, which was, you know, public, uh, very caring teachers, um, truly an experience that I enjoyed. Um, in Puerto Rico, you, you do have, people are very politically engaged. Mm-hmm. And so you develop a, a, a very forward thinking mentality of uh, the value of education. When I came to the United States at the age of 12, I went into, I, I started living in Williamsburg and um, which is in Brooklyn. And to be honest with you, that was not the Williamsburg that exists today. Uh, it was the 1980s. It was the crack epidemic. And I went into a, a junior high school that was, um, I mean, there were rats like mm-hmm. laying mm-hmm. around. It was, it was, and by, by laying around, I mean that they were dead, right? It wasn't even living rats. Wow. I've come to as a New Yorker to have uh, an appreciation for the wildlife that exists. But this was a really bad situation. And we were um, the bilingual students, as they called us, that we were separated from the general population. Hmm of the school and we were actually placed in the special education floor and I kind of saw it as, you know, I understood that we had special needs and I had many friends that were uh, in the classes for special education, very bright and brilliant people, but I felt like we were all being treated 
in a way that said that there was something very wrong with us. And I remember listening to the accents and the diversity and the many ways that people learn differently. And I, I knew that we were not getting, getting the best. And because of my background of having really pretty good education back in Puerto Rico, I, I always felt that it wasn't right. <laughs> you, you, mm -hmm. Those situations yeah. were like, something is not right here. Um, thankfully, I ended up going to a, a high school, Mary Bertram High School, that I had a teacher that saw my typing skills because there was no discussion of college access, no discussion of college. At that time, I was put in secretarial track. Hmm. So just keep that in mind. I'm learning how to type and do steno. Yeah. Sonography of back in the day. And I'm sitting there. And again, that, I get talented, great kids around me. Um, but once again, I was being tracked. And I remember thinking, when are we going to discuss college? And it was never discussed. Hmm. Uh, keep in mind that I was um, mostly Spanish speaking. I had not become proficient in English, you know, 15, 16 years old. And um, I really wasn't developing English because I was at home speaking in Spanish. And the school that I was going to was really just teaching me how to type. I, I mean, seriously, I spent hours and hours. But I had a teacher who said, wow, you could type, but I always see you writing. And um, she said, you know, um, the adult in school has a a little job typing and they need somebody in the headmaster's office. And I went there and I don't know if you're familiar with the Dalton School of New York City, but it's one of, it's a private institution really where the rich yeah. go. It's a amazing school. And I started to see kids my age discussing college hmm. and I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to college, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it was really it was this sense of, oh my gosh, you know, and so I was in high school and um, I was picked on and I got into a little bit of a scuffle with a fellow classmate and I left, I left the high school, I dropped out. And it was one of those moments, I mean, I continued working in a factory and I did all kinds of work, but I just felt like education had fallen through my fingers and I was at 18 and no high school diploma and um, kept yearning to learn, um, didn't have money to purchase a book, but they'd have the library. And I just felt that I needed to go to college. I didn't know how. And community college became a savior for me hmm. because it was there. I have to tell you, I remember the first time I submitted my English paper and it was at night. And my professor came in and said, did you write that book? It was, a, I mean, did you write that paper? And it was a paper about Rosie the Riveter. And I fell in love with her yeah. because I was like, that's my mom. <laughs> my mom has always worked in a factory and I worked in a factory. Oh, and so yeah. it was this sense and, and I felt respected. I felt heard. I felt this great sense of um, I don't exist just as a worker or exist just as somebody that is trying to, you know, commute from home and deal with the subway. I felt like important mm -hmm. beyond my family. And, um, you know, community college enabled me to develop this sense that I can do it, that I now had access. I did not know that community college 
was considered to be a subpar level of education for many people. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that people felt that that was just an open enrollment and you weren't bright if you went to community college necessarily, right? Like that was the the open door policy and therefore it meant that school the students were less than. Yeah. So keep that in mind, right? And But again, I found myself around, surrounded by amazing people and I went on a scholarship to a private Long Island University and um, I have um, found that education allowed me and my brothers and sisters to reach levels that we never thought we would reach in terms of financial stability and being able to take care of our moms and being able to travel and do different things. But, you know, it gives us a little bit of peace of the anxiety. It relieves the the anxiety of not knowing that you will have a plate of food and all of those physical things, safety, but I, it also allowed me to think my mind was appreciated. And I think that that's one of the greatest losses. I, I have friends still from school from back in the day. And to think that their thoughts and their minds are not appreciated, right? Hmm, that to yeah. think that they are, their talents are not being appreciated. That's a powerful story. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask, like, did you always have a, a heart for and a desire for education, even going back to when you grew up in, in Puerto Rico? Or was it just, you know, this kind of series of events with being uh, in New York and then in that special education class you talked about being an ESL student, having finding success as a launching point through community college? Um, I, I think that that's such a good question. <laughs> I think that my passion for education comes it's, it's a very... Um, utilitarian process, right? Mm-hmm. It, and I, I lived in a in the countryside of Puerto Rico with limited resources. I mean, both my parents worked um, in American companies and factories and things like that. But um, beyond what the struggle of every day, right? Education was a point of uh, everybody wanted it. I think that. I grew up surrounded with people. Uh, give you an example. My mom bought me uh, an encyclopedia, and you know, back in the day, that's where you got all your information. And she Good demanded that we read. So I, I do come yeah. from a, a family that that really put a great deal of importance in education. It's just like many of our scholars here in our program, and in, in, in the many communities and the places that I speak, there is a desire. I, I'm not one of those people that says, oh, you know, people don't know about college or, and therefore they don't even desire it. I think people like me know about college, but, uh, but the complexity and the path to get to college, if we're going to be all honest, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 you know, it's true. And there are different levels of education. I mean, there's community college, there are four years, there are private, public, there are open enrollment schools, there are all of these things. And there are so many choices. Um, the choices alone sometimes become a problem that you cannot make the, the decisions to get to that college, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think there's just a lack of information and lack of pathways to get you there. Um, and for me, it was um, one of my co- students, one of our Kaplan scholars always says, that along the way, he always found um, gatekeepers and people that opened the door that said, oh, you you know, you should come in through this door. 
but it's really a chance, right? There, there, there's, it scares me. It always scared me that so many of the people that I was in through my educational journey, that we really didn't know if we were going to college. Mm-hmm. And I understood though, that there were people that always knew they were going to go to college. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that was what the distinction I didn't live surrounded or I was fully, I was fully conscious that there were people that were meant to go to college. I understood that people saw me or that policies around me said otherwise. Right. I would be lucky if I went to college. She yeah. would be the first to go to college. She would, you know, that's the distinction. Yeah. And well, and just I even what that does to someone's mindset, having that kind of distinction growing up but how did that start if you could uh, tell us like how did you get involved from going from community college into doing what you're doing now when I started work when I started attending Kingsbury Community College I was attending full-time but I was working um, as a waitress and I was working um, multiple jobs um, at the store I, had, I was doing anything you can think of yeah. <laughs> anything legal <laughs> that you think of. <laughs> and so at that time, um, I, um, they, someone said, wow, you speak Spanish really well and um, your English is pretty good as well. So they offered me a, a, a job working in the study abroad program in the languages and literatures department, the foreign languages as it was called back then. And so uh, you're not going to believe this, but I used to actually do the trips to Spain and Dominican Republic and other trips um, for people that wanted to do over um, study abroad, but I didn't have a passport. I had never been to Spain. I had never been to the yard. I had only been to New York, New Jersey, and that was it. <laughs> and so in my Puerto Rico. And so here I am doing this program and I was offered that position and I just fell in love with advising students. Mm-hmm. Like I have had to hustle all of my not, my life and I knew what classes were great. I knew what subjects uh, would be interested to different people. I knew what professors did were exciting. And so I loved the school. And so I became a person that just gave a lot of advice. Mm-hmm. So I started working there and then um, part-time position which turned into a full-time position. And guess what? I ended up getting a civil servant job, which I thought was everybody was so happy. And my family was like, yes, you get benefits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was and it's full time and you get all of these. And I just wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. thankfully, my scholarship to Long Island University was in education mm-hmm. and sociology. And so through that, I was able to get this civil service job, which paid for some of my credits undergrad and also um, allowed me to go to Brooklyn College for my master's. And I advised students. I worked in the college discovery program, which is a college access program, even within community college. Right. So these were the students that did not do well, that were in low remediation, that were low income, below the poverty level. And but it was really how what services do you provide for the students to thrive? Mm-hmm. And so these were the students that were most difficult in many cases, academically needy, financially needy, but they were hard workers. And so my uh, good friend, my colleague at that time, Brenda, and I 
started to work closely with the students and providing them tutoring services at night and things like that. And they were thriving. And so I loved the work that I did there. Um, at some point, I saw a flyer from the Kaplan Educational Foundation in 2005. Mm -hmm. I saw a flyer and it said, do you dream big? And I was like, well, my scholars dream big. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started to read it. And then I went to the website and there was a job description. And I said, my gosh, if I can get our scholars to go to the most selective institutions in the nation, because the goal was a leadership program. It's not a scholarship. <laughs> and I applied and I came in and I remember the um, executive director at that time said to me, you know, we work with a small group of students. And I said, how small? And they said, seven. Wow. <laughs> and, and it's kind of, and they said, we understand the complexity of what it takes for us to get these students to where they need to go. And, and I have to tell you, I built the college advisement piece, uh, a leadership model, and we started to build partnerships for four years. I quickly understood that we needed to build partnerships, that you couldn't just say, hey, community college student with a child um, recently divorced, you know, just apply. We really needed to provide them the resources for an entire year to develop them so that they would take a little bit time of time off to really develop themselves as students, to really fully exercise their academic abilities. And so we I also said, we have to provide an, a stipend because these students are working more than 30 hours. I had a student that was working 60 hours mm. and going to community college. And I said, wow. we have to provide some funding. And so I couldn't believe when I went to the board and they say, yes, because <laughs> I would say, well, we need a stipend. Well, we need, and you know, this was a group of um, at that time of Kaplan executives, and um, we are public um, charity right now. But at that time, um, we were not operating as a public charity. It was really the donations of Kaplan executives, and they say, yeah, we know that it takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. We do know that. If we are aiming for these students to get into these schools, um, because our mission is to get historically underrepresented students into highly selective institutions, right? Mm -hmm. um, actually, to develop them to, to a leadership, so in their professions, their communities. And so, in thinking about that, these are high need students and, and highly selective institutions, many of them have the funding and the resources to deal with and to address the high needs of our students. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. yeah. I, I was even thinking it's when you talked about you had the seven students, mm -hmm. it's even, if you look at that, it's even profound that you could, if you are successful in, in helping seven individuals change the course of their life through education, you know, you put them on a totally different path than the one they might have previously been on. Um, and even that, that, that seven is just a, a success, you know, it's, which is pretty amazing. I mean, and we work with seven, so because we work with them for an entire four years, at any given point, we have 20-something students in the program Yeah, at the time of its launch. But, but it's really going back to, and I remember one of our board members saying to me, it's when we look at these seven students, it's like, what, what would I want for my own child? Yeah. What opportunity do I want to provide? Mm -hmm. And 
I thought it was very interesting. Very quickly, though, what we became very aware was that the schools really, you know, we don't have unlimited funding. The four-year schools, many of these institutions, it's not they have unlimited funding, but they have pretty good funding. And yeah. we said, we started to see that schools were offering our students pretty close to full scholarships. Mm-hmm. And we started to see that many of these schools were really well resourced, many of them to really support a non-traditional student. Mm-hmm. And by non-traditional, I mean a student that took a break from school for more than two years. You're thinking about a veteran, somebody that went to serve the country, came back, has a child. You're thinking about a young woman who has, you know, a child and they're 25 and their kid is five and but really talented, are doing leadership in their community college. But you're also talking about that young recent immigrant whose parents have put all of the efforts to making sure that their child can attend school. Yeah. Think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, high need, but high potential. That's totally. what I always say. High need, high potential. I love that. And so with a proven record, right? If you assume that a community college record is a record, that proves ability. And that is the question that I pose to schools or to anyone. You know, taking the example of, um, you could say Stanford University, Brown University, how do you define talent, Mm -hmm. right? So believe it or not, what we started to see was that many of these schools were very happy and already were um, accepting community college credits and activities as demonstration of a student's ability to succeed at their school. Mm-hmm. So once you have that, we started to really feel excited because we started to see students getting accepted not to just to one or two, but four or five schools with full packages. Mm-hmm. And just my job in the last few years has been to make sure that more people know about that. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for community college. I went to community college before I went to my four, four years. Did I? Yeah, so we're oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so we're big big fans of it. You know, it's definitely a great way to get started and to really find what you're passionate about and then pursue it. Wait, I have to go back to that. Okay. Uh, so you're both community college grads. Why didn't you say that? <laughs> we, I am so happy <laughs> that you're because I really. Speaks to what I'm trying to say, right? Yes, like exactly. the assumption that community college students are in a one-track mind that they're just looking for this degree and they don't have aspirations of leadership. Look at what the work that you're doing through this podcast. Like, this is exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're, we're uh, representing for you. Yeah, yeah, represent. Oh my goodness, I'm glad that we are in different locations because I would have high five you. <laughs> I'm gonna do a self high five through the podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it seems like you have your own lived experience going through the system and community college and and high school and your whole story, even being from Puerto Rico and everything you went through. What do you think some of the biggest obstacles? low-income or non-traditional students, as you've said, what are the, some of the biggest obstacles they run into on their path to seeking a higher education? You know, the, the access, accessing 
the application alone is an issue. If you think for many people that come from greater privilege and have greater resources, they may have a counselor with a very small caseload that really is focused, that has relationships with four years, that can really speak about the multiple choices that they may have. That's missing in many of the communities. I visit the high schools all of the time. Actually, many of our scholars have graduated from our program and in doing college access. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that What's often missing is that there is a pathway. I don't want to say that all high schools are bad because that would be totally untrue. But for low-income first-generation students, especially the many high schools that I visit here in New York City, there's such limited resources um, for students to really have the ability to develop a profile that would be acceptable and would provide them a competitive edge to apply to top performing colleges. Right. Tell us a little bit about your book. I'm, I'm very curious. The new book that you just came out with. This is really exciting. It just came out in, on October 17th. Uh, 2017 of this year. So exciting because the um, it's called Your 2018 Guide to College Transfer. It provides nine new school profiles of top institutions across the United States. Um, and basically it provides the policies for admissions, financial aid, and housing for very specific groups. What are their policies for veterans, for U.S. veterans? What are their policies for DACA and undocumented students? Mm -hmm. What is their policy for students with children and with a focus in community colleges? And what we do is each school gets a badge. So let's say that school is well has a lot of resources for veterans. It get that it gets that badge, but it also provides advisement for all of those subgroups. On what is it that they need to do while they are pursuing their initial year of education, whether it's online, whether it is in a community college, whether it is that they're in a current college and they're planning on transfer. So what is it that they need to do in the classroom and out of the classroom to build the best profile to then be competitive when they apply to these top schools? Um, And that's what it is. It is my life's work. Um, you cannot discuss financial aid without discussing housing. You cannot discuss um, admissions without discussing financial aid. <laughs> and so all of these things are discussed in this book. And um, it is, um, I dedicate this book to my brothers and sisters who really taught me to read and all of those things. But really, this book is for the scholars um, of the Kaplan Educational Foundation because Um, In the last 10 years, we have worked with students from community college um, just in the New York City area. And these students have transferred to schools like Stanford University, like Brown, Smith, Amherst, um, Syracuse. And you know what? They're killing it. There's no other way to say it. (laughs) You know, they graduate with top GPA selected to be speakers of their classes. They are... Um, really saying, you know, what I mentioned before, being catalysts of change, that's what they're doing. They're going in there and saying, you need more students like me. Right. Um, 
because we're here to really provide our lives and to change it. And you need part us as part of these discussions. If we're discussing the problems of the world at this elite university, you need to have us in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. That sounds like such an amazing guide that you've laid out in your life's work in your book. And we'll definitely have the notes for that uh, in the show notes and links. I, I did want to ask, like, what are, what are some ways in your own advice, your own words, or from your own journey, like what are ways that people like a, just a listener to this podcast that they can make a difference in education or in academics or what can like somebody do to really do good, you know? Mm. That's such a great question. And I'm glad that you ask it because for anyone out there, let's say if you do have a college education, the process of applying to college is such a difficult one. The essays, the, the, the research, understanding those goals, and especially for many students that are first generation, you really do need some type of mentorship and support. So being able to volunteer in an organization of college access Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't need to be an expert. You just need to be able to sit down with someone and say, tell me your story. Let's write an essay about that. Um, understand also being able, if you attended a school and in your area and you want to reach out to your local high school and say, you know, let's do a tour for, you know, especially those students that are first generation. Um, those are the things that really make a big difference. Mm -hmm. It's, and it's like those gatekeepers is saying, hey, I attended here and I'm going to open up this gate for you. I want to make sure you come in and let me show you. Yeah. Another way is the financial aid application. FAFSA is one step towards financial aid, but also the CSS profile, which is um, administered by the college board. And it is a lengthy application. And so if you can get trained and really help people complete those forms, which can get truly, truly complicated and often a stop, that would be great. Um, at the Kaplan Educational Foundation, we're always looking for volunteers and for people to um, mentor our students, to have lunch with a student, to, oh, to it, by the way, if for the two of you, for just sharing your journey and yeah. saying, I went to community college, this is my path, this is what I have done, telling your story whether it is a story that comes that explains uh, the similar path or saying, you know, I think you will do well. I don't I didn't go to community college, but I can see you in the classroom that I was sitting. Yeah. So doing that kind of stuff. Um, we always um, we are a 5013C um, uh, here at the Kaplan Educational Foundation. And so, of course, we're always looking for people to donate um, to, to our mission. But again, to volunteer, you can also, you know, buy the book and give it to someone. We have a process where you can donate a book to a student. Yeah, um, where do people get but, involved if they want to support or learn more about your book and also the Kaplan Education Foundation? So the Kaplan Educational Foundation, uh, our website is kaplanedfoundation.org. And um, you, th there are links also there to go to the book. Our book is also on Amazon, so you can search through my name, Nancy Lee Sanchez. So definitely, just through the book. This is a unique guide, so it's, there aren't many other guides like Rush this. And you were two thousand and eighteen guide to college transfer. Um, it has gotten really good reviews, um, and so that's another way. Um, I also would advise anyone 
that is an alum in any selective institution. And so you ask what kind of um, diversity work are they doing? You know, how are you reaching the community and supporting students from community colleges? That's amazing. Well, Nancy, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for the work you guys are doing with the Kaplan Education Foundation and the leadership program. Um, We really appreciate it. Well, thank you both. I am so um, happy to have joined you. And I do hope that um, if anybody has any questions about transfer admissions or this process, um, that I, with the foundation is here, I am here. But I I thank you both for the work that you're doing through this podcast. I hope that it reaches the world. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review. We also have an amazing website, so visit us at projectdoinggood.com, where you can hear about the latest projects we're supporting. 